if true, means death for us all. Moving on. <laughs> Welcome to the When We Are Young podcast, the podcast where we take a look back at pop culture from the 80s and 90s, and some of the early 2000s as well, and see if any of it is still good, or was ever good to begin with. I'm Becky, and I'm the podcast host most likely to be rich in bunly goodness. <laughs> I am Seth Pearson, the podcast host most likely to go to Bovine University. <laughs> uh, I am Justin Zarilli, and I am the podcast guest most likely to walk into a burlesque house and then walk directly back out again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm Chris, the podcast host most likely to remain stone-faced throughout this episode because I don't understand anything that anyone just said. (laughs) (laughs) These have never been more accurate. (laughs) So we've covered a small handful of TV series on this podcast previously. We've done Seinfeld, we've done Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So we've done all these uh, TV shows, but no TV show comes close to the output and influence as America's favorite family, The Simpsons, which is what we'll be discussing today. Are we allowed to challenge that? <laughs> was no. that just the end of the episode? No, Chris, we've set a five-minute timer. Becky gets five minutes head start before you can say anything about any of this. <laughs> the timer begins now. <laughs> so there are 29 seasons of The Simpsons and a 620 episodes. Wow. <laughs> so that's a little too much to cover in one, uh, you know, 10-hour podcast. We will list <laughs> them starting now from the first to the last. Yeah, so big announcement, you guys. We are switching to only covering the entirety of The Simpsons. <laughs> and those are podcasts that already exist. So if you want every single episode of the show covered in detail, uh, I think there's a podcast called Talking Simpsons. Yes, and it's amazing, and I listen to it. Don't um, plug other podcasts. This is our podcast. Subscribe to, to their podcast. Patreon. It's only us, baby. It's only us. For this episode, we're going to talk about the golden age of The Simpsons. And there's a few different interpretations of what that is. Some say it's four through six, and some say two through nine. As leader of this podcast, I've told everybody to watch a bunch of episodes from season... 620. <laughs> I've asked people to watch or rewatch a lot of episodes from season one through ten, which runs 1989 to 1999, so a good ten-year chunk of The Simpsons. And that's basically the... covers the show's most quoted, most memorable episodes in its history. Today we have a special guest. Hi, Justin. Hello. Justin is one of my best friends since I was 15. We'll go with that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember remember better than I do? (laughs) For the purposes of this deposition. (laughs) Justin has been mentioned on this podcast a lot. The Chasing Amy episode. Did you know that you got me into Gwen Stefani? I didn't. Who would have known that the woman I used to pretend I wasn't gay got you into her? <laughs> Wait, what? what? Wait, you didn't know this story? Wait, what? That's the only reason I like Gwen Stefani. What? I put like pictures of her up on my wall to convince my parents I was straight. <laughs> oh, it all comes full circle. Additional origin story. Becky too. <laughs> it got everybody. <laughs> Stefani facts. Well, I like No Doubt a lot because I was trying to like the things you like. <laughs> Little did you know, you were only enabling me. Why is it that every like female you ended up liking ended up to be a gay man behind it. (laughs) What? Libby. Oh, yeah, Libby. (laughs) Behind every successful woman, there is a gay man hiding from his feelings. (laughs) Throwing up a smoke screen to confuse his parents. (laughs) So, Justin is in L.A. for a little bit, and I was like, well, what could Justin theoretically uh, be on the podcast for as a guest? And I I thought... Less than negative seconds. <laughs> and it would be The Simpsons. So Becky didn't think. <laughs> and that's good because I literally can't talk about anything else. Yes. So you made a good choice. I have a lot of Simpsons loving friends and you are the number one on that pile. <laughs> uh, that, is a, that, is a, that is a crown I will happily wear. <laughs> Justin, Not the Plow King crown, but no. another crown. Nonetheless. 
my birthday is on January 6th and his is on the 7th. So we always have the changing of the birthday guards. Yes. And then one year he was out here and we had a Simpsons costume uh, party. Uh, and Seth and Chris were both there. It was one of your better parties. Oh, it was fantastic. And who was everyone dressed as? We should let <laughs> the people know. I was Fall Out Boy, so Millhouse's Fall Out Boy. Justin was Roy from <laughs> Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie. But I was not the only Roy. No, there was there another Roy. So, so much for being a deep cut reference. <laughs> Chris was Nelson. I was. You I, perfected the... <laughs> I didn't even remember his name now. I was going to just be like... <laughs> That guy. That's your only, just keep doing that throughout yeah. the podcast and you're set, Chris. <laughs> and, and Seth won Most Obscure Character because even I didn't know who it was. To the extent that I don't remember who it was. It was felonious? <laughs> it was like Lisa's boyfriend in one part yeah, of yeah. one episode. It was like Lisa's boyfriend from one episode. Well, it was a momentary side character. You won a fun prize. <laughs> I did. It was a good time. A good time was had by all. Except Chris. He didn't have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed the voice, though. So before we launch in, a, I mean, the next 10 hours of... <laughs> before Chris and I take the sleeping pills. <laughs> the razor blade is hovering over my wrist, you guys. <laughs> I'd love to know what your history is with The Simpsons. Um, did you watch it growing up? Do you still watch it? Uh, Seth, would you like to go first? Yes. <laughs> well, end, end of and will you. <laughs> I started watching The Simpsons from a very young age, not at the very beginning of it, but I bet it was probably five or six seasons in that I started to pick up on it. So maybe when syndication started. Maybe when syndication started. I don't remember. Was it on on Sundays? Was that yes. always its yes. time? Yes, began on Sundays. Yeah, oh. I, wa- I want to say yes. Okay, so I was definitely like an active Simpsons fan by the time I got into X-Files, because they were, for a long time, uh, time slot buddies mm-hmm. on Sunday nights. And I got into X-Files like late in elementary school, early in high school. I watched a shit ton of Simpsons from that age and basically haven't stopped. I mean, I don't actively watch it nearly as much as I used to. Uh, I, I feel, I, I both hear and feel the tisking coming from <laughs> Justin's general tisks direction. all around. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to mark that as tisks all around. We'll, we'll get there. All around me, and from me. It's just yeah. 360 degrees of tisk. Don't waste all your tisks on Seth. There's plenty of Chris to go around. <laughs> I'm wearing my tisk deflector. <laughs> Stop showing us all your tisks, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but I grew up watching Simpsons, and it was very influential on my sense of humor, both in terms of being a person who appreciates references to other pop cultural things, which Simpsons did from the very beginning in its jokes, but also just in very absurd, sometimes elaborate sight gags and jokes that would take a while to set up. I just liked the way that it played around with comedy uh, in a way that even at a young age, I could tell most sitcom types of comedy didn't play around with it. Chris, what is your history with The Simpsons? Your simstery. Well, in a way, I've never dreaded an episode of the podcast <laughs> more than this one. In what way is that? Because I am a sort of casual fan of The Simpsons. My deflectors look like Wonder Woman armbands, by the way. For those of you who cannot see me, deflecting. Thank you for describing that, because I don't feel like we should deprive our audience of the knowledge that you do the Wonder Woman fist thing pretty regularly. Yeah, Uh, so I like The Simpsons, but I don't like Simpsons fans in groups of two or more. (laughs) Which is what we we reached it. Especially Justin, and especially Becky. (laughs) And especially Bart. 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm proving a point. <laughs> exactly. This is going to be like this is going to be two hours of proving his point. So I remember my first encounter with The Simpsons was <laughs> not a xenomorph. It was in the first grade, and I remember someone wearing a Bart Simpson T-shirt to school, and it being kind of a scandal because Bart Simpson was rude. And <laughs> did the shirt say "Don't have a cowman"? It probably did, or something like that. And. I just soaked up through osmosis that this was like a naughty show for like <laughs> bad kids. And that's kind of, that was my earliest impression of it was that it was something like pretty scandalous. Naughty osmosis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then so when I was probably more like a preteen or a teenager, I actually caught the show in syndication and like kept thinking I was maybe missing something because it wasn't that bad. <laughs> like it wasn't shocking or anything mm-hmm. and I guess that that was just like the sort of conservative reaction that I'm sure we'll talk about later uh, that had it branded as kind of a bad show and a bad <laughs> influence for children but like really when you look at it especially from today's standards it's pretty pretty tame in terms of like the actual content of it like being like, offensive. Like Family Guy is much more like edgy, mm-hmm, you yes. know, trying to toe that line of bad taste than yeah. The Simpsons ever was. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. So I had just like kind of imagined that it was a much like cruder and ruder show than it actually ended up being. I think I had a similar experience that I didn't really remember until you were describing that. And I'm sorry I didn't get into this earlier, but like I was already kind of thinking in my mind about Simpsons being one of the first things as a kid that I recognized there was like this media firestorm about specifically from right-wingers and like all my first exposures to politics were all from the right wing it was like hearing Rush Limbaugh on AM radio and that kind of thing um, so I can't was, do tisks. sorry I tried <laughs> oh my god <laughs> you guys if I could convey another visual Chris's attempt to tisk they heard it it wasn't good sounding either <laughs> it, was like, it was like a broken sprinkler really The Simpsons was one of the first shows that I heard was controversial and kind of heard that heard that being said about a show and I think that was part of the reason why I initially first started watching it was to be like, what is the hubbub all about? That's just a reflection of like what the first season of The Simpsons was, which we're not, I don't believe, covering in this episode. But a little bit. Like there was like backlash to that because first of all, I mean, you know, I mean, at least as a big Simpsons fan, I think that season one was awful. Um, but it was very much like Bart was the bully. He like spray painted on things and Homer choked him a lot. And that was kind of the outsized reaction people had was that like Bart Simpson was this glorified main character who was like a bad kid at school at least that was my understanding of kind of what the backlash was so what was justin what was your first experience watching the simpsons (laughs) my first experience was actually not watching the simpsons because as a first child at the age of i don't know how old was i when season one happened five i think five six okay so i guess i was like seven or eight or something like that but my parents put me to bed at 8 p.m on Sunday nights and that was when The Simpsons started and I was very very upset because all my friends at school would watch The Simpsons and I never had the chance to so I don't think it was until probably season 3 or 4 that I was actually allowed to stay up to watch The Simpsons and then once I did I fell in love with it and uh, it just kind of went downhill from there (laughs) (laughs) I would say uphill Uh, yes what were you like before you ever watched The Simpsons I had nothing to say I was quiet all the time (laughs) if you could imagine a blank slate 
late. <laughs> That's my version of going back to kill Hitler is to stop you from ever seeing the Simpsons. <laughs> I would be the worst. Pro- I don't even know. But wait, I would wait a minute. Be- <laughs> wait a minute. I love that you just compare me to Hitler. We'll go with <laughs> I feel like we should, we kind of missed the main fulcrum point of what makes or does not make one a Hitler. <laughs> no, what are I, we going back the, in time to prevent? I caught the reference. How would you create a massive fissure in time by going back and stopping you from watching this? Yes. I get that. Yes. I get that. Now that you're chewing on like something delicious. Have you never tasted before? No, I can't do it. Oh my god, now you're never gonna be happy ever again. Oh my god, I think you were so close. It's like watching someone speak a new language for the first time. <laughs> this is like videos of porcupines eating lettuce. <laughs> I'm like, I'm never gonna make those <laughs> So for me, The Simpsons is without a doubt the most influential piece of art in my entire life. <laughs> I am not, that's not even hyperbole. Like, it's its shaped my sense of humor, uh, much like Justin. Like, I would be a completely different person if this show did not exist. All right, Hitler has two tasks. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Hitler's going back in time to prevent this now? That's, that's what Hitler's doing. We're teaming up. One takes Becky, one takes Justin. Who wants Hitler? Can I not have Hitler? All right, Justin, you get hit. I'll take Hitler. This is just an important lesson about how time travel messes everything up. Yeah. You shouldn't do it. God. So I've been I've been watching The Simpsons since it was on the Tracy Ullman show when I was four years old. Wow. And I remember being like... I remember I watched a lot of Tracy Ullman because my mom was a comedian. We, I watched all the comedian shows literally since birth. And so I watched Tracy Ullman. I remember watching it and being like, the cartoon's on. And that was what I really liked about the Tracy Ullman show was the cartoon. And that's what I knew it was. It was the cartoon. And I can remember being little and watching these little interstitials, which is what it was on the Tracy Ullman show. It was like maybe the same storyline cut up three different times. Like... Um, the very first Simpsons was Bart and Lisa looking over Maggie's crib and imagining different things with Maggie. And there was three different little shorts. That creepy Rockabye baby short. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I remember watching that. Um, so I've been literally watching it the entire time it's been on the air, even before the series started. So it is like the number one piece of pop culture in my life. I've learned so much from The Simpsons that I've seen so many pop culture references to classic movies that I was not old enough to watch until I was about 13. And then I'd be like, oh, that was from The Simpsons. Like, the first time I watched The Shining. I was like, oh, (laughs) it's from The Simpsons. Wait, when were you not old enough to watch anything? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) I have probably watched, in the the episode era that we're talking about today, I've probably watched every episode hundreds of times. And it shows. Yeah. Um, It makes me so happy and content. It's like just part of me. As I said, we had, Justin and I co-hosted a costume birthday party. I have an entire room that like a shelf on my bookcase is all Simpsons like trinkets I've gotten over the years. Uh, Mr. Plow is with us in the studio today. (laughs) She's gotten her head surgically reshaped to resemble Lisa's ridges. (laughs) Um, I got to meet Matt Groening once at an event and tell him that he pretty much shaped my sense of humor. That's amazing. (laughs) There is absolutely no time in my life that I didn't watch The Simpsons. So I've been watching it before syndication. I watched it all through the eras that people, you know, stopped watching it. So I'm still watching it for good or bad. She's had it on throughout every one of the episodes of the podcast that we've recorded. (laughs) So I want to get a little into Matt Groening and who he is and how this came to be. (laughs) Like how deep in him? Who are you and what are you doing here? (laughs) (laughs) What are the odds that we could just... (laughs) 
not do Simpsons quotes during this episode. Impossible. 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 <laughs> Could we try? Like one per segment. I'll try. I can't promise. Per Chris, sentence? I can't promise I'll try, but I'll try to try. <laughs> We're both going to like cocoon ourselves eventually. <laughs> You're just going to see the walls Guys, go up. It's not my fault there's a Simpsons quote for everything. Absolutely everything. <laughs> or is it? Who learns? <laughs> Matt Graney was born February 15th, 1954 in Portland, Oregon. He was the middle child of five siblings. Mark, Patty, Lisa, and Maggie <laughs> were his siblings. His mother was Margaret, and his father was Homer. Wow. His grandfather was named Abraham. Do you notice a pattern? I don't. I did not know any of that. That's uh, really Lots of unoriginal. biblical names. <laughs> Wait, where's Mark? <laughs> yeah, there's no Mark Simpson. Luke Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Groening started cartooning at an early age. He cited 101 Dalmatians and Peanuts as inspirations. At the age of 23, he moved to Los Angeles to be a writer. He described his life in Los Angeles in a self-published comic book he created called Life in Hell. It's really good, by the way, folks. If y'all, if you, if you're a Simpsons fan out there and you haven't, get on it because they have all of his sense of humor and everything. His series Life in Hell used bunnies as stand-ins for humans. Um, his comic got a spot in an alternative newspaper called Lo- The Los Angeles Reader, and it was a hit. He released a few books with variations of Life in Hell called Work is Hell, Love is Hell, Childhood is Hell, etc. Um, TV producer James L. Brooks, who is this, you know, if you know, if you know any TV, James L. Brooks probably executive produced it. Um, He wanted to meet with Groening to explore the possibility of making life in hell into a show. In the waiting room for this meeting, Groening realized he didn't want to sign away the life rights to his life's work at that point. So he came up with a show skewering the regular suburban nuclear family, you know, like the Cosby show and other TV sitcoms at the time. He used his family's names. Uh, For the character based on himself and his brother Mark, he went with Bart, which is an anagram of Brat. So let's talk about the voice cast of The Simpsons, which has pretty much been the same voice cast from the very beginning. Dan Castellaneta, he voices Homer, Grandpa, Krusty, Mayor Quimby, Barney, and more. (laughs) Wow. Julie Kavner voices Marge, Patty, and Selma, and sometimes Marge's mom. Nancy Cartwright voices Bart, Ralph, Nelson, Milhouse, among others, uh, mostly a lot of the school children. Hank Azaria voices Moe, Chief Wiggum, and Apu, among many, many, many others. Harry Shearer voices Mr. Burns, Principal Skinner, Ned Flanders, Reverend Lovejoy, Dr. Hibbert, and Yearly Smith voices Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) Slouch. I, I think I read that all of the voice cast members all make the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. And I get that, but also, you're Lee Smith. <laughs> I, I met her once at a bar, like, and it was like, you would have thought I let, met Lady Gaga. I started screaming. She did the voice for me and everything. It was amazing. In her defense, and also Marge, like they have really distinct voices. Yeah, it's funny that I'm like, yeah, she only voices Lisa, really. But at the same time, I mean, she's one of she's Lisa, and if you change Lisa, you're changing that entire character. So she yeah. deserves the money she makes. Every main cast member has won an Emmy for outstanding voiceover performance, which is kind of amazing. Insane. So even Lisa, especially Lisa, <laughs> and especially Bart. <laughs> Other voice actors who made repeated appearances: Pamela Hayden, Tress McNeil, Marsha Wallace. Maggie Roswell and Russie Taylor. Other guest actors that made multiple appearances are Phil Hartman, Albert Brooks, John Lovitz, Joe Mantegna, Maurice LaMarche, and Kelsey Grammer, as you uh, know, Sideshow Bob. So The Simpsons holds the record for having the most guest stars featured in a TV series. Tony Bennett was the first guest star to appear as himself in season two. And he is related to me. Tony Bennett? Yes. Is he you? Third cousin. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> legit. Take off that mask. Third cousin. <laughs> The Simpsons has also won 31 Emmy Awards and a Peabody Award. It is the longest-lasting TV sitcom of all time. 
Holy shit. Time Magazine awarded the show the best TV series of the century in 1999. In the same issue, Bart was named one of the century's 100 most influential people. He was the only fictional person on the list. Madam, your children are no more than a pair of ill-bred troublemakers. Lisa, too? Especially Lisa, but especially Bart. So the meeting with James L. Brooks didn't directly lead to a TV show, but it did lead to The Simpsons appearing as shorts on The Tracy Ullman Show. Um, It premiered on April 19th, 1987. So Bart and Lisa kind of look like dinosaur monsters. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like even more so than they eventually did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's funny about why they look so bad (laughs) in the first few shorts um, is that Graining would sketch out the uh, the characters, like hand draw them, and he would he never worked in TV before, and he just thought, oh, they'll just clean it up when they animate it, but they didn't. They basically just traced his like his cartoons, so that's why they look so like I don't know bad, <laughs> basically. It also disconcerts me how they keep calling Maggie it. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, what's Maggie's preferred pronoun? I think it's she. <laughs> I think she's. I think she presents as a she. I think it's kind of funny from the very start that it's the same voice, uh, Nancy Cartwright and Yearly Smith as Bart and Lisa, and their voices are there. Homer got a little bit of you know fine tuning over the years before mm-hmm. the series premiered, and even through the first couple of seasons. But like Bart and Lisa are there. The Simpsons was on the Tracy Ullman show for two years, and the first episode of the actual show, The Simpsons, aired on Fox on December 17th, 1989. It was the eighth episode produced, but the first one to air, and it was called Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire. So before we get to talking about the pilot, what are your general thoughts about watching all these episodes again? What do you think? I loved the show when it felt like I was drowning after a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, I Like I said, I don't watch it as actively as I used to. Um, But even back in the day, it wasn't usually a show that I would like binge hours and hours and hours and hours of, which is very much what I did for this episode. Um, But I loved rewatching it. I loved rediscovering the episodes that so many of my favorite quotes were in. I loved rehearing a lot of things that were my favorite quotes that I'd entirely forgotten about. Uh, I always love revisiting episodes because as someone who's watched every single episode a billion times, including the most recent ones, you lose track sometimes of where your favorite quotes came from. So it's very funny to be like, Oh, that's where that quote came from that I love or like reconnecting with like a first act. Cause like, especially Simpsons is just so notorious for a completely off kilter, random first act that leads into what the actual episode Mm. is about. So it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, okay. Like that's how they got to Mr. Plow. Like I I like to play a game (laughs) where my husband puts on a random episode and I have to get, what episode it is and we count how long it takes me (laughs) yeah there were so many times like justin was saying where i was like what what fucking episode is this like i i was watching on the the fx now app Mm -hmm. uh, on simpsons world and i would have to like recheck and recheck and recheck that i was actually watching the correct episode (laughs) and like that kent brockman that one episode that begins with kent brockman (laughs) Which, if true, means <laughs> death for us all. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I, had to re- I restarted that episode because I was like, oh, something got cut off. What is this? <laughs> no, it's just great. <laughs> no, it's it was, just awesome. Yeah. Chris? 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mutual and same and moving on. So I did. Silence is consent. <laughs> watch one or two seasons of this show, like actually full seasons oh, wow. back in high school. So I. Oh, I thought you meant like now. No. <laughs> okay. Wow, good job, Chris. You're like, like, wow, no one asked you to do that. that. So I believe that was season 11 and or season 12. So I ha- I had that experience of watching it week to week, and I really enjoyed the show on a week to week level. Kind of what Seth was just saying is that for me, at least, it's a difficult show to kind of watch too much of, as I, I feel like it's best served in like little morsels. It's and- got diminishing returns, <laughs> I think, past the eight hour mark. <laughs> yeah, although I, our other two hosts, <laughs> Um, <laughs> Tisked though we may be. <laughs> but it had probably been since about then that I had watched very much Simpsons at all. Because uh, despite going to film school with a lot of people who yeah. <laughs> first gave me the heebie-jeebies about <laughs> Simpsons fans. <laughs> uh, are we really that terrible? <laughs> yes. Okay. Trust me. You are. <laughs> the heebie-jeebies are acute and painful. <laughs> That kind of like gave me a slight aversion to the show just because it so many people loved it so much and kind of rated it so highly. And also just like the critical consensus is pretty much, I mean, a lot of critics cite it as one of the best shows of all time, if not the very best show. So I was coming to this as more like I'm lightly amused by this show. I had yet to really find anything that I thought was really groundbreaking about a particular episode. So I was kind of coming in trying to find if there was like something to this show that I found worth all of that hype beyond just that it's funny. And we'll go into that. (laughs) But it was still funny. All right. I'm glad it wasn't a total waste of time for you. (laughs) Um, I, as you can tell, have not taken any break from The Simpsons. (laughs) Uh, Not even these episodes, because I own all the DVDs. And, you know, I work from home often. And sometimes I just want something on in the background. And I'll throw on a Simpsons. Or when we're going to, I'm going to bed at night with my husband, we'll just throw on an episode of something. We pick a random disc from a random season. And you cuddle in your Simpsons bed sheets. Yes. <laughs> in your Simpsons jammies. Yeah. In your creepy clown bed. Yeah. <laughs> with um, Mr. Plow. But this is the first time in my life that I've watched The Simpsons with a critical eye. And I actually, like, wrote notes. It wasn't just something on in the background that I knew every line of. And it, I wasn't, I was not passively watching it anymore. I love it still. I think it's amazing. I, I, the critical consensus is five stars. There are There's so much to like about so much of it, the storylines, and what I was surprised about were there's some episodes that didn't hold up for me. And I think oh, that and I think that if it was these particular episodes, which we'll talk about, were on, um, and they just came on or I was just watching them, I'd be like, okay, Simpsons, great. But I was actually watching it with a critical eye, and I was like, actually, that doesn't really hold up. Or, oh, that's not as good as this other episode that's just so classic and perfect. Um, so I was more surprised about the episodes I didn't love because <laughs> I knew I was going to love this. Um, there's no way that like in general, the Simpsons is still like the number one thing in life for me. Like it's just that good. And it makes me so happy. It's just so smart. It's written by smart people that, you know, the whole Harvard lampoon class of writers, you know, it's almost like a rite of passage for great TV writers to pass through the Simpsons and write episodes. And it's, it, you can just tell that these people are just so smart. They they make references to things that they don't care if you get them or not. Um, as a as a kid, I guess, or even an adult, I'm just I was just continued to be blown away by how well the show is written. 
especially like the tender moments too. Like every episode that ends with like a tender moment between anybody in the Simpsons family um, really hit home for me. Yeah, I wanted to, I guess, point out a couple more things that I came to just like after watching it with a critical eye was just that I do think it does a really good job of maintaining a consistent tone and energy despite these wild veering, like realistic things and then unrealistic things like episodes can get pretty much as crazy as something can get or they can be like fairly mundane and I think the show always feels like the show like it doesn't ever feel like it's gone off the rails really um yeah and I chuckled legitimate chuckles (laughs) that's good (laughs) I can't wait to hear about which guffaws you had <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about the first episode, um, Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire. What did you think of that? I thought it was, you know, a, a lot of the basic elements are there. A lot of the basic relationship elements and dynamics of the ways that the members of the Simpson clan relate to each other are there from the very start. But I do think the episode felt super slow especially compared to even just the season two and three episodes. Um, I think they really hadn't found the right comic rhythm yet for just the way that the jokes are structured and play out in the episodes. Um, But I do think it was a pretty sweet story. You know, it's like a Christmas story. And I think it starts to establish their relationships as a family very quickly. Yeah, I think it's really surprising, actually, that the thing that's there from the first episode is more like the soul and the sentimentality of the show rather than necessarily the humor. Yeah. The kind of general sense of humor is there, but it definitely wasn't as sharp. But that the thing that I take away from this show that differentiates it from like the family guy or something, which is that you like the characters and that there's a little bit more vulnerability to them and more relatability to them. Um, that was there right away, which is surprising, even after watching, you know, those shorts, which were just so quick and pretty simple. Yeah, I thought they turned the shorts into a series very well, and the groundwork is definitely there. It's, you know, just a relatable suburban family life and what a family goes through and their relationships together. And I think throughout the course of the show, especially these first 10 seasons, every great episode is mostly about the family and how they react towards one another. Um, and I thought the animation was pretty rudimentary, but a huge leap from what it was on Tracy Ullman. Less dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hated it. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, I yeah. don't ever watch this episode. Yeah, no, I generally. just, I mean, I'm a, I mean, like coming from, I come from a very controversial side of the the Simpsons fan base, which is where the uh, the post graining Simpsons fans, where we think that Matt Groening basically made a really bad show, and until they got him off of it and put James L. Brooks on and brought in all new writers, that like mm-hmm. these earlier episodes were just not the Simpsons that we came to love. And when I see this episode, I'll skip it. It feels like a different show to me. When did he leave? I want to say somewhere between season two and three is when he didn't leave, leave, but as in like they took him off the showrunning position and they put okay. in L. Brooks and he hired his writers and stuff like that. Matt Groening was notoriously known for having a very, very specific vision and he would stymie his writers and not allow them to write certain jokes. He wanted them to be very realistic. So you'll notice as you go later into seasons, things get a little more wacky and zany it's because Matt Grady wasn't there being like that can't happen that he wanted to treat it like a live action sitcom that's even though it was an animated show I think that was important from the start though because otherwise it would have been like too cartoony and too zany from the start but the fact that you know none of the 
like Homer gets hurt all the time where he strangles Bart with no repercussions, but it's still like he hurts himself and says, ow, right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like if he falls mm-hmm. down a uh, gorge, yes. he's still like in pain and the ambulance comes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, bring it back to realism, certainly. But yeah, those early episodes, it's just like, it's like a Simpsons I never liked and I don't connect with. And I'm like, get me to the, it's like, you know, where are we getting to the fireworks factory? Like, I want to go to the good <laughs> ones I like and remember. <laughs> I'm kind of the opposite because I like the realistic episodes. I like the realistic episodes in the later seasons more, but those are always the ones that, I find more captivating, which are just the ones that are about the domestic drama and mostly about those four core characters mm-hmm. and that aren't don't widen out the world too much. I thought it was interesting that um, season two actually starts being great right away, like for me, because one of the standouts of that season was Itchy and Scratchy and Marge, which is about Marge thinking that Itchy and Scratchy is a bad influence on kids because it's too violent. So she tries to get it off the air. Lemonade? Please, I made it just for you. You are my best friend. Mmm, this really hits the spot. Mm, doesn't it, though? You make really good lemonade, Scratchy. <laughs> Thank you, Itchy. It was a pretty meta episode about cartoons being violent, considering, like, Itchy and Scratchy is kind of the Simpsons' way of having their kicks in that cartoon way of people blowing each other up. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you guys think of this episode? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was really funny. I thought it did a lot to establish Marge as a character who could be funny, but primarily because of her kind of innate wholesomeness and innocence and naivete. Um, and I liked, I echoing a lot of what Chris is saying, the episodes I liked revisiting the most were the ones where members of this family were discovering new aspects of themselves or discovering, like, agency and finding a mission and a cause. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked that Marge, f- like, struck up this cause and felt very passionate about it and went after it. Yeah, I like that Marge isn't necessarily right. Oh, no, she's definitely she's, wrong. Like, <laughs> she's She ends up being completely wrong to the extent that it, like, ruins the cartoon when they take her feedback about how it should be made more kind and gentle. Yeah, I <laughs> but, like that a main character on the show isn't the one like defending isn't necessarily defending something or they're right. And it's their crusade, you know, and they're in the right and you're following them. Like the Simpsons characters can be wrong and you can go on that (laughs) journey with them of discovering like, Oh, actually like they're not right. This thing that they care really passionately about isn't actually, it's kind of misguided. And they do that in a bunch of episodes. So that segues into my favorite episode of the entire show. Still all 20, 29 seasons it's lisa the vegetarian my favorite too <laughs> yay <laughs> and that's in season seven it's the episode where lisa becomes a vegetarian after they go to a petting zoo and she falls in love with this little lamb and then they have lamb chops that night and she doesn't want to eat them she feels like the town is like rubbing in her face like eat meat <laughs> eat meat and she starts judging everybody including her dad and i really love that episode not just because it is the most quotable episode <laughs> of all time every line of this episode is perfect and quotable you don't yeah. win friends with salad yeah, you don't, you don't win. Win. But that she is wrong. But she's not necessarily wrong. That's why it's really interesting, is that that's great that she wants to be a vegetarian, and that's a personal choice, but she has to learn that not everybody has to follow her morality. And she learns that lesson from Apu and Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney. 
<laughs> as we all do at one point or another. And I don't know if you guys were aware of this, but Paul McCartney's condition for doing the episode was that Lisa had to stay a vegetarian for the rest mm-hmm. of the whole huh. show. So, and they did, yeah. That's pretty she impressive. She still is, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, I love that one. Mostly is, you know, every week it starts over, and things that happen don't necessarily go to the next episode, but sometimes they do. And for this, like, Lisa stayed a vegetarian the rest of the series. Yeah, this is easily one of my favorite episodes of the show ever. It actually is one of the things that inspired me to become a vegetarian. I was a vegetarian throughout high school and some of college. Um, and seeing this episode was one of those things because wow. the lamb cheaper friends is just so cute. Aww. And and it was also Aww. like the time when I was starting to read more about what factory farming is actually like. I agree, this is one of the best and most quotable episodes. It's where Ralph Wiggum's immortal line, sleep, that's where I'm a Viking, <laughs> comes from. I would say every line is... Bovine University, also Bovine from this episode. Every, the whole film reel in the middle is maybe the best, like... Aside, like out of the story, like <laughs> with Troy McClure. Yeah, we should explicate. There's a, an, a fake educational film that the students in class watch, and Lisa's forced to watch, kind of extolling the virtues of meat. Brought to you by the meat, meat board. <laughs> yeah, brought to you by the meat board. <laughs> Mr. McClure, I have a crazy friend who says it's wrong to eat meat. Is he crazy? No, just ignorant. You see, your crazy friend never heard of the food chain. Just ask this scientician. Uh, He'll tell you that in nature, one creature invariably eats another to survive. (laughs) Don't kid yourself, Jimmy. If a cow ever got the chance, he'd eat you and everyone you care about. Um, But I also really like about this episode that it's a good Lisa Homer episode. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the kind of main relationship dynamics in sitcoms are like mother-daughter uh, and that kind of thing. But I like that Homer and Lisa have a very well-developed relationship with each other. And that part of this episode is Lisa struggling with f- trying to find acceptance for being a vegetarian from her dad. Well, yeah, Lisa and Homer are kind of like the polar opposites of each other. So right. when they explore that relationship, it's really like a lot of contrast. Because Lisa's the smart one who mostly points out hypocrisy or things that don't make sense or that are ridiculous. And Homer is least likely to -hmm. notice any sort of hypocrisy and most likely to act hypocritically or just, you know, kind of put his head in the sand. And when the two of them can bring out an issue like vegetarianism or, you know, any kind of social issue where one side is kind of representing the main point of view and then the other one is sort of the oh but wait like let's think about this and let's kind of challenge the way that this system works i think they're used to that effect a lot following on that last episode one of my very favorite ever episodes of the simpsons is king size homer from the same season season seven and that's the episode where homer gains weight to go on disability which then causes problems in his health and his marriage I'm terribly sorry, sir, but I'm afraid our facilities are not equipped to meet your needs. What are you talking about? What I'm saying, sir, is that a man of your carriage couldn't possibly fit in our seats. I could sit in the aisle. I'm afraid that would violate the fire code. Hey, fatty, I got a movie for you. A fridge too far. (laughs) Shame on all of you. Give me my dignity. I just came here to see Honk if you're horny in peace. 
This is just absolutely, I think, one of the funniest episodes of this show ever. Mm-hmm. Um, Homer sets a goal to gain like 60 pounds or something. And it, it eventually, he balloons to the size where he has to get a muumuu because that's the only thing he can wear. <laughs> and he immediately, for some reason, starts wearing a shower cap, too. <laughs> this has just some of my favorite lines in it. It has Dr. Nick, who's another of my favorite. Oh, the best. Favorite of the extended world of Springfield characters. It's your window to weight gain. <laughs> what I think is really interesting about this episode is that there's no B story, and it starts, the plot starts almost immediately, which is very rare because as we were talking about, it's usually like they're doing something completely random and it somehow like snowballs into the real plot of the episode. And this one is just like right away, it's all about gaining weight. It's just very interesting storytelling. It's like they had too much material, and they're like, we can't waste it with a B story. Yeah, and it, it also has some of my favorite uh, visual gags of the series. So, like, he's, he's quote-unquote working from home, and he puts one of those uh, wooden birds that drinking automatically... Bird. Yeah, the drinking <laughs> bird that automatically bobs up and down to, like, do his work for him. Uh, and he also gets a fat finger dialing wand to use the phone because his fingers are too fat. <laughs> Mash the keyboard with your fingers. <laughs> yeah, there are just there's so many things about, I love about this. There's also one of my favorite like visions of the future gags where Bart sees himself following in his father's footsteps and gaining weight to go on disability. And he has this line, I wash myself with a rag on a stick. <laughs> Um, it's just so great. It's so great. I love it. So many of these episodes are just so funny <laughs> that it's <laughs> really hard to not quote. I'm sorry, Chris. I know it's hard. <laughs> like, I just want to quote all. It's just so funny. It's so cleverly written and it's timeless. And I think when the Simpsons starts getting less good to bad is when it's more dated uh, yeah. It's more very timely to that time versus moment. Universal, which even episodes in the last few years, when they focus on the family or, you know, trying to be a better person or self-identity, and it's very universal and timeless, usually those episodes are much better than Gaga comes to town, <laughs> which has got to be one of the worst episodes I've ever seen from like, what is it, season 23? Oh, man. Thankfully, I have no idea what season that was in. I watched a few minutes of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I have a problem with the show because unlike all of you, I have <laughs> not seen every episode 4,000 times. And I don't necessarily remember what lines come from what episodes or... Like, I have a hard time remembering the plots to episodes. Like, I remember specific moments, like King Size Homer. I'm like, oh, yeah, he wears a muumuu and he gets fat. But I have no idea how that episode ends. Or uh, Lisa the Vegetarian. It's like, I remember a pig flying <laughs> and I remember you don't make friends with salad but like when it comes to like the story of the episode I'm like completely lost and I have a hard time remembering the end of the episodes because I think so often the show just kind of resets at the end and it doesn't really matter how it ends because you know it's gonna just like get back to status quo so when we talk about episodes I'm a little bit lost because I'm like I know two things from this episode <laughs> and that's about like it, it was... and I can't like logically follow like where the episode well went. one of the episodes that I love like Lisa the Vegetarian where she continues to be 
vegetarian that does not keep the status quo is a Millhouse Divided, which is probably my other favorite episode mm. of all time, mm-hmm. where Millhouse's parents get divorced. And I think that episode is not only incredibly quotable and funny, but really great in the respect that it's about Luann and Kirk getting a divorce or separating, and then he tries to win her over, and she's like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's a really, it's kind of a shocking ending, Yeah, actually. it's shocking, where you're, you're expecting, like, oh, he made this grand gesture, and it's a sitcom, and it's a cartoon, they're gonna get back together. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, if The Simpsons often does, like, make light of resolutions, and it's like, now everything's fine, and everyone's like, yeah, okay, everything's fine. Like, there's not a lot of residual angst from the stuff that happens, but this is the one where there are consequences to what he did, and it's just like, no, yeah, we're not going to reset that. Yeah, I really love that episode for that. And I really like A Millhouse Divided because Kirk and Luann's relationship reflects what's happening with Marge and Homer, and Homer actually learns from what's happening with Kirk. So there is something that brings them closer together. And I, I just love every episode that is really about just any relationships with the Simpson family. Homer and Lisa, Marge and Bart, uh, Marge and Homer, like anything where they actually learn something um, about marriage, about being a father, about being a mother. And I think you did a good job, Becky, curating a list of episodes for us to watch because did I... She, did she curate an, a list? <laughs> I just saw did. a bunch of titles. Guys, I've never in my life struggled more than to narrow down Simpsons <laughs> no, episodes. I, I get it. No, it was mighty. It was a mighty struggle. <laughs> it was mighty. Um, but, but I think that you gave us multiple examples of each of the different types of relationship dynamics that the show talks about. There was another episode about Marge and Homer's marriage that I thought was much less effective, but I'm glad that I rewatched A Millhouse Divided, because with you, like, I thought it was impressive the way that it kind of gave real dramatic weight to even something happening to these side characters, but then pretty effortlessly segued that into a dramatic thing for Marge and Homer to make them kind of reckon with what their relationship is and how to make it better. My favorite moment of of a Millhouse Divided was there's a scene where the school bullies, uh, rather than beating Millhouse up, actually console him <laughs> about what it's like to have divorced parents. <laughs> of course, like the joke is that one of the bullies is a parent himself who has already gone through a divorce. <laughs> I sleep in a drawer. <laughs> but no, I thought that scene was just touching and a fun role reversal in a way that doesn't happen for a lot of the side characters. I didn't write down very many, like, actual specific references because I knew that we'd be covered here. (laughs) But for this episode, I did write down something that I found funny, which was North Korean fortune cookies. (laughs) (laughs) So, Seth, what was the episode that you didn't like so much? Um, The one that I thought was a less effective version of kind of relationship woes was El Viaje Misterioso de Nuestro Homer in season eight. That's really surprising. Uh, The episode where Homer goes on something of a psychedelic journey in order to find his true soulmate. That's really interesting that you didn't care for it that much because it's, I think it's like one of the best episodes the show's ever done. I just thought it was super mushy and sentimental and it was a lot less actually trippy than I wanted it to be. Really? Yeah. There was a fox voiced by Johnny Cash. Yes. Right? <laughs> Which is amazing. <laughs> you yeah, don't not, get much trippier than that. <laughs> I'm not denying the power of the fox. We've all seen him, Chris. You wanted to be trippier? Yeah. The entire second act was like trippy, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm just so surprised. The turtle, the pyramids. Yeah. I don't know. It, it could have gone, on, gone into live action or I don't know. <laughs> well, that, that was another episode. That was true. That was, that was another episode. That is episode. debatably okay. the space episode. coyote. <laughs> 
Well, you had never seen this episode before, right, Chris? No. Did you watch it? I did. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and like most episodes, I remember the thing that is clear from the title, which is that it's the crazy trip out episode, and then I kind of forget what, what <laughs> happened because did I? Did you watch just too much Simpsons in a short yes. amount of time? So it's all yes. blending He's together. Burned out. It's I'm, I'm pretty sure I did too. I'm yeah, pretty sure. It, yeah. The episodes are so kind of zany that I feel like unless they have a really really strong through line in terms of story it's just hard to like latch on to what each one is about and i actually have a harder time than a lot of actual diehard fans naming like which episodes are good or bad because to me it's all kind of just amusing moments that are so like a bad episode might have two amusing moments <laughs> whereas a good one might have five but to me there's not a huge difference in quality between any of these and i know i didn't watch all 600 <laughs> episodes so that i probably watched mostly good ones but still like i just have a hard time distinguishing between the episodes you know really. chris i'm actually going to come in on your side as a simpsons fanatic because that is what simpsons is to me is a 22 minute long collection of zany moments and i want as many zany moments as possible and i often don't like an episode when it gets too mired in a plot or a story length so i'm like there's less zany moments i don't care like yes okay margin Home, we're gonna fight. They'll be fine by the end of the episode, and then three seasons later, they'll fight again, and we'll wonder are they gonna break up? But they'll like I'm in there to like like my favorite moments in that episode are like reading the signs in the background at the food fair. <laughs> like you know, it's like that's what I'm there for. That's what I signed up for. I want to see all the really funny, smart jokes. I want to hear all the funny, quotable moments. Like if I wanted story, I wouldn't watch The Simpsons. I would watch a drama or something like that. You know, I don't come like for is me. This, is I don't this not go. a drama. Could you believe it? It's more of a horror movie. Um, Family melodrama. But yeah, and like to me, a bad episode is like, oh, there were only like three funny gags here when like a good episode to me has like 85 and you can't stop laughing because every second there's like a church sign and then there's like something funny Homer does and then something ridiculous Lisa says and then like three really great throwbacks to old episodes and like a sudden appearance by a character you haven't seen in like seven seasons. Like that to me is what I love about The Simpsons. I think the best episodes have that plus heart and Mm -hmm. a story which obviously like Lisa the vegetarian or king size homer has like a very clear story but they can go off the rails with that very clear story yeah i agree another episode that i watched was lisa versus malibu stacy which Mm -hmm. is kind of similar to lisa the vegetarian and that lisa has a crusade like a moral crusade as she often does and is trying to get everyone to kind of change and in this specific episode she is addressing a very barbie like doll that (laughs) it's barbie i mean (laughs) yeah that the quotes are very uh 1950s housewife-ish and just very regressive. Like, I can't think about that because I'm a girl. Or <laughs> you, you guys probably know the specific. Let's yeah, solve all our problems with a big bowl of strawberry ice cream. <laughs> I wish they taught shopping in school. Oh. Let's bake some cookies for the boys. Come on, Stacy. I've waited my whole life to hear you speak. Don't you have anything relevant to say? Don't ask me. I'm just a girl. <laughs> My favorite quote in that whole episode is, I'm a white male, ages 18 to 49. Everyone listens to me. And I own a gum and nuts t-shirt to compliment that quote. Uh, I love this episode a lot, too. Um, this episode reminded me of how annoying and frustrating it always was, that Maggie was clearly a genius, and that the whole family was completely intent on ignoring it. This was one of the first, like, activist Lisa episodes. Mm-hmm. And I just love that so much. Like, she was a very inspiring character, Uh, in a comedy like this um, because she was always like taking on the system and you know and trying to get people to change their minds 
Yeah, and so I like in episodes like this, like there are a lot of great throwaway jokes and stuff and a lot of zaniness, I would say. Maybe not as much zaniness as in other episodes, but like at least this one has, it has a really clear like kind of a story for me to hook into that then I can appreciate some of the more zany stuff. Whereas if it doesn't have that kind of relatable story, I just kind of am like, I might as well be watching like this episode backwards or mm-hmm. upside down. I don't know. I love the moral of the story, which is it's worth to have integrity even if one person is affected. I just thought that was a really great lesson. And watching this episode in my past, like it's just a funny episode. I don't even realize that I'm learning anything, but watching it this time, I was like, that's actually a really great lesson that she made this Lisa Lionheart doll that says smart things and is this great role model for kids and no one's interested in it, but at one little girl but it's worth it. I also love the Krusty the Clown cameo in this episode. Oh my God, when he comes into the studio? <laughs> yeah, so Lisa's re- Lisa gets the chance to do the voice of the Lisa Lionheart doll, and she's in the re- studio recording her phrases, and Krusty the Clown bursts in, rattles off three lines, tells Lisa to learn from the professional, and then drives off in his car. <laughs> hey, hey. Five seconds later, you discover that they weren't actually recording him, so it was a completely <laughs> wasted interruption. That was... I think for me a moment where the zaniness kind of worked because it fit that side character into the plot. Mm -hmm. I'd love to talk about Homer Badman, which is the episode also from season five where Homer gets accused of sexual harassment by uh, his kid's babysitter who's depicted as this like angry, very stereotypical angry feminist. Like she she says something to Lisa about, you know, oh, guys are all the same. They all like video games. Give them a video game. Like, she seems very disparaging against men. And then Homer has a Venus de Milo gummy that is stuck to her butt (laughs) after going to the candy convention. (laughs) And he grabs for the gummy and he has no, you know, he's not looking at her butt. He just wants the gummy. And she thinks that he's reaching for her butt and grabs her and is inappropriate and becomes has this, you know, um, Uh, vendetta against him and goes to the press and you know people start hating homer because he assaulted this woman and the whole episode is about homer having to clear his name um and i just thought i didn't i thought the episode is funny but seeing it in 2017 there was something really weird about it yeah what's weird about it to me is that if this is gonna be the one episode where you explicitly talk about an issue like sexual harassment that this is the version of that story that you're going to tell about a false accusation. Yeah. You know, and especially having it be Homer, pardon, having it be Homer who has to face down that false accusation. Um, yeah. I I remembered, so I remembered the image of him reaching for the Venus to Milo <laughs> gummy, but I completely forgot the context of the episode. <laughs> Um, and rewatching it, I thought it was an example of a bad way that the show would try to handle timely topics. It started off on the wrong foot and proceeded from there. And I mean, like, there's even a lot of this stuff you don't really even notice, except in retrospect. But near the end of the episode, Marge has a line that says, you know the mites. Uh, you know the courts might not work anymore, but as long as everybody is videotaping everybody else, justice will be done. Which I think was like a tongue-in-cheek line, I guess. Like, even at the time. But 
There's just but something... that aged well and actually predicted the future. Yeah. There's, there's something wrong inherently about the story being Homer having to clear his name and the woman thinks it was real, but it ends up being a false accusation and that she is so kind of like the most stereotypical feminist. I think this is as good a time as any for me to plop a turd in the punch bowl of who <laughs> the writers of this show are. I think it was a straight white male screenwriting career fact Yeah. But I think the insane demographic limitations... And the fact that they were all these Harvard people foreclosed a lot of storytelling opportunities and a lot of investigation of these characters that really any other writer's room would have done. The show has remained, in a sense, very overhyped and overly respected for the pedigree of its writers, when I think that's actually a thing that was kind of a limitation on the ultimate show's quality. I'm sure there are exceptions to this, but I feel like the show is weaker when it brings in an outside character who goes on a crusade rather than has it be Lisa or Marge or Homer or Bart I also or think that's true. Whoever it is. So and I didn't even watch this episode, but yeah, it sounds kind of um <laughs> doesn't hold <laughs> up as well as the other ones. Another one that I really was surprised how much didn't hold up and we're living in 2017 where shit's crazy. But it was the cartridge family episode. Yeah. And that is the episode where um because he's worried about people burglarizing their home, Homer goes and buys a gun. Now, I believe you have some sort of firearm for me? Well, let's see here. Uh, According to your background check, you've been in a mental institution. Yeah. Frequent problems with alcohol. Oh, yeah. You beat up President Bush. Former president. Potentially dangerous? Relax, that just limits you to three handguns or less. He becomes a gun nut. He joins the NRA. And I thought it was interesting that at the time, even the people in the NRA were like, Homer, you're using the gun incorrectly. When the NRA was almost sane, (laughs) or at least depicted as being like almost sane. Well, yeah, the NRA was a very, very different organization, even at this time. Like, even at this time, they were still mostly a gun safety organization. Right. And they were not a literal gun lobby. Yeah. And like, so even Marge, so Marge is like, you know, you're using this gun unsafely get rid of it he says he gets rid of it he doesn't and it's like repeats throughout the episode he keeps saying i'm gonna get rid of the gun i got rid of it no he didn't and it's just he keeps lying to her and she has a line that's like i've never out of every crazy thing you've done i've never felt that our family was unsafe and i was like yeah you you have a legitimate reason marge to like take the kids and leave and it felt weird just to have homer be such a gun nut i guess because we're looking at it I was looking at it today when guns are such, I don't even know what to say. Like, just, they're such a hot button right now. Um, and the episode they're ends. They're triggering. They're, they're triggering. <laughs> it ends with Homer lying again, even after a heartfelt moment. And he's like, Marge, I can't control myself around this gun. You have to take it and get rid of it. And then he leaves. And then Marge keeps the gun and then lies to Homer. It's just such a weird ending that did not work for me. Yeah, it's, again, I think it's one of those where their kind of plot choice took precedence over anything, any aspect of the characters. Yeah. I think it's what happens when your writers are so much more concerned with proving to their audience how smart they are and how smart you should think they are and not concerned enough with, like, how a plot choice actually impacts the characters you've set up already. Yeah, overall, I find that the show does a really good job of keeping the characters consistent, but there are 
episodes where things feel off. It sounds like that's one of them. And also, for me, Homer's phobia, which is also about guns, Mm -hmm. also just felt kind of like out of character for Homer, and I just wasn't really into that episode. So in the episode, uh, there's a gay, I think, uh, thrift store worker or something that they become friends with. John Waters. Okay. One of my favorite voice cameos. Waylon, don't do this to me, (laughs) Waylon. And uh, Homer invites him over, and then when he finds out that this guy's gay, he kind of freaks out and starts worrying that Bart is gay because Bart says a lot of things that could be interpreted that way. That John is the greatest guy in the world. We gotta have him and his wife over for drinks sometime. Mm, I don't think he's married, Homer. Oh, a swinging bachelor, eh? Well, there's lots of foxy ladies out there. Homer, didn't John seem a little festive to you? Couldn't agree more. Happy as a clam. He prefers the company of men. Who doesn't? Homer, listen carefully. John is a homo right. sexual. And so he decides to take Bart shooting and wants Bart to kill something so that he could prove that he's masculine and this ends up in a reindeer factory. <laughs> a reindeer farm. Farm, okay. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. I don't really mind the joke that like Homer would like for a second think like, oh, Bart should kill something. But I feel like it goes on way too long to be in character for Homer. And just like seeing Homer pushing violence on Bart just felt like a little out of Or him character. being very homophobic. Like yeah. Homer seems more, and they've dealt Wish with- Which they fixed later. <laughs> yeah, like he once like roomed with two gay guys and he was much more like, oh, you're into that? Okay. Because I felt like Homer is, mo- that's more what he is. He's kind of like dumb, but accepting. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he has some like- uncertainties he's like oh that's scary I don't know what that is but he's not so hateful and it felt like in Homer's phobia he was more hateful and more like today you'd find like a very right wing person when I don't think Homer is right wing he's kind of like a dog (laughs) he's just a loyal dog who's kind of dumb and maybe he's scared of loud sounds but like is ultimately like a happy person and this felt just very like he was taking on the role of homophobes when Homer really wouldn't be like that yeah I feel like a more Homer thing would have been like if he thought Bart was gay he would have maybe done things that were kind of awkward and offensive but trying to show that he appreciates Bart anyway to be fair I don't think it was Homer's idea didn't Mo push the idea on him yeah, but I did. I like, just take the kid shooting, that'll get him. You yeah, know what I mean? It was, like, it was still him being so homophobic. Yes. I don't know. Did, did you, do you remember watching this? When I, do. You were young? I mean, here's the thing I have to say about Homer, and this is something else just like when I watch all these episodes. Homer is a terrible person. I mean, he's just a <laughs> terrible person. I mean, like, we're talking about, like, we don't like when Homer did this with guns. We don't like how Homer, like, behave with gay people. Like, if you take the time and read on the page every line that Homer says, he is like a neglectful husband who, like, picks sandwiches over his wife's health. He's like this horrible, horrible human, but we're so used to him just being this, like, zany moron that we'll excuse anything he says, and it's like, oh, only when he steps a bit too far out of line, we're like, that wasn't very like Homer. But Homer's always like uniquely terrible to his children, to his wife, to his job. He's like a lazy guy who doesn't work. He like will like completely like backstab his friends. He'll like be rude to new employees is, at his job. This is a great segue into Homer's <laughs> enemy, which is actually like a very meta episode because it's about 
how we're used to Homer's antics. And here's somebody that's almost like, what if he was in the real world? And like how people would react to him in the real world, which is Frank Grimes or grimy Grimey. as he liked to be called. <laughs> he did not like to be called. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and he seems like a bitter person, but like almost a normal person. And he has to interact with Homer and he's like, oh my God, you're the worst person in the world. And everyone else in town is like, that's our Homer. Isn't it's like you get used to it. It's just how it is. I can be lazy too. Look at me. I, I'm a worthless employee, just like Homer Simpson. Give me a promotion. Oh, I eat like a slob, but nobody minds. I'm being on the seat. Give me a raise. Now I'm returning to work without washing my hands. But it doesn't matter because I'm Homer Simpson. I don't need to do my work because someone else will do it for me. Do, do, do. Hey, you okay, Grimey? I'm better than okay. I'm Homer Simpson. <laughs> you wish. Homer's Enemy is a really divisive episode where some people absolutely love it and some people really fucking hate it. I'm one of the people that loves it. I think it's such a meta episode about a guy who comes to the power plant and he's pretty normal guy with a you know hard life and he just sees Homer has done all these things while being an idiot and he has all these accomplishments. He sees Homer's house and thinks it's like a mansion. He everything that Homer has is something that seems given to him and not earned and he uh holds a grudge and he ends up dying. <laughs> Why did people hate this? <laughs> they thought it was too far that somebody came in and died. <laughs> Is it because and, they like make light of his death in the final moments of the episode? I think so. I think it had a similar Lord thing with Seinfeld, with Susan stuff, in that the characters are treating it so trivially. What did you think? I, I certainly didn't take it as an episode that went too far. I, I actually disagree with the way that you characterize Frank Grimes' character. Mm-hmm. I think he's very specifically set up as this like Job-like figure who mm-hmm. has Literally. had to claw and scrape and scratch and dig to like every little accomplishment he's had because they like lay out his life story in a like, video this, clip. Yeah, there's like him. a video clip where they're covering him and his life is this tale of endless woes <laughs> and hardships and he's only now gotten his correspondence degree in nuclear physics or whatever it is. <laughs> and then um, a dog eater or a bird eater or something. Yeah, he, um, but, but I think the way that they set up his character makes it impossible for the Simpsons to be anything but grotesque in comparison. I like the idea of setting up a character to come in as a momentary foil to them to show, by example, how relatively effortless their lives are. But I think the fact that they make this guy such a relative saint kind of makes it impossible to do anything but be kind of horrified by how the Simpsons act. I think it's narratively an interesting choice and an interesting choice for a side character. But I think the way that they did it kind of killed the comedy aspect of it for me. Yeah, I didn't actually watch this episode, but just... <laughs> I got something to say! <laughs> I mean, to me, like, I mean, one of the jokes of the whole show is that Homer is such a dimwit and yet has this job at, like, a nuclear power plant, which could theoretically, you know... <laughs> Kill us all. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that it's definitely, like, a white male privilege to even have, like jobs like this so I think the contrast of maybe if it had been like a woman character or some other kind of person that it might have been a sharper commentary than another guy one of the things that I don't think the Simpsons really covered much at all is race 
Mm-hmm. There are very few episodes about it, and one of them is Much Ado About Nothing, where because of bear attacks, they want to have like a, the government wants to have a scapegoat, so people will stop complaining to the government, and so they decide that stopping immigrants from being in the country is now going to stop people from thinking about the bears, <laughs> and it works because we're all idiots. <laughs> it's actually a pretty timely episode considering what's going on now, so it was really interesting to watch. Just all these quotes about immigration and being an American. American and what that means. You could have asked me so many questions, and I would never have remembered that that episode had anything to do with bears. That's, what <laughs> That's the act one. Just because it's like the I act remember one. It's the act immigration, one. and now I'm like, oh yeah, there was an episode about bears, but nowhere in my mind do those things like <laughs> go back together. Yeah, they don't coincide. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> it was interesting yeah. to watch now, concerning what's going on now. But I think it's also interesting just that The Simpsons doesn't really talk about race very often at all. The Simpsons doesn't really often talk about much of anything. They, they. I mean, they do I run themselves. I don't agree like, with that. <laughs> oh, I feel like they, there's a lot of stuff they don't cover. Like, why don't you cover this sort of issue? Why don't you cover that sort of issue? Um, I think that you know they really try to run themselves as like a very old-fashioned, traditional-style sitcom where it's like we're going to encounter our you know little foibles and we're going to resolve them by the end of the episode and move on. I mean, I, I can't know. really count. I can't, you know, not at least a serious, like, look at something, you know. Well, there have, and again, I don't know if these were in seasons one through ten, but there have been episodes about eating disorders. There's, There's been episodes about um, trying to lose weight and, like, body dysmorphia. And there's episodes about homophobia and episodes about what it means to be gay. Um, gender, like, and, female And gender issues. and female issues. And I think that... I don't know if race is just a, such a depressing, heavy topic that it I can't I think it's cover. just one of their many blind spots. Again, coming from the pedigree that they came from, you know, because they address the things that they wanted to talk about. And it's very, very abundantly obvious that they don't want to talk about race or racism that they didn't see white supremacy as a current enough problem to merit. They've also been, like, critically nailed for that. I mean, like, you know, think about one of the most primary characters of color in the show is Apu, and he's voiced by a white guy, you know, and that's been, like, a huge issue. People, like, you know, they have to, like, call and hire a person of color to come in and play a person of color role, even if it's just, like, a one-off, like, you know, the the, the clip, I don't remember what episode it was, where, like, the the black comedian is talk is comparing how white people and black people drive. Yeah. And like the joke was like they literally had to hire this guy. They like they call him the black guy the Simpsons call. They're like they bring him in and Wait, he, does like, he do Carl? No, he does nothing. Literally. No. The, Wait. Like whenever a person of color comes in, they call this I don't remember his name because he says that one line, but he's appeared in a few episodes where like a black person's in the episode. Really? They call this black actor to come in and voice the black person because they have no one. But yeah, Carl I mean, is like, like this a is... regular but they don't okay well <laughs> yeah there's only like two black characters on the show yeah and one's voiced by a white guy so like this is, this is the problem yeah. you know it's like and it's a huge problem that they've been confronted with where it's like you know like you have white people playing people of color you know yeah. Pink Azaria tisk tisk <laughs> yeah. no, like we have to open that can of worms like the I did not watch the Apu episode um because I'll be honest, it's weird and gross and offensive to. I don't what, know. What is weird and gross it's and offensive? That, that whole character is mm-hmm. Middle Eastern face. Yeah. And that's literally all that character is. He's, I he's, a, he's a random. He is a hodgepodge of 
random stereotypes about Middle Eastern folks and their practices. And some of them are approached with some degree of seriousness. Like, I think, like, in Lisa is a vegetarian, Apu's character isn't, like, ungenuine about the fact that he's vegetarian, you know, or whatever. But I don't think that the character of Apu was crafted with the idea in mind that he's a human being. No, he was not. See, I totally disagree, because I think Apu has been in enough episodes that he has other things about him that don't involve him being Indian. Like, this particular episode is about him having to get a green card and become an American citizen and I think that's interesting actually what it means to be American because Apu knows absolutely everything about American history and Homer doesn't know anything and yet Homer gets to be the American and take whatever that means for granted whereas Apu has to work really really hard and I thought that was an interesting take on the immigrant experience but I think that there are aspects of Apu that are stereotypical Indian and what you were saying but I think he's been in enough episodes where that's not even a thing that is about that episode I his Indianness. also very conscious of a choice because I mean if you go track back to Apu I mean like he was just like the stereotypical thank you come again you know and he has like the rotten hot dogs and he's trying to rip people off for money and there's all these it's like as the seasons went on he matured into a character they gave him more episodes they gave him more treat they turned him into a person but i mean I yeah definitely over think, time you know over in the beginning i mean it, the joke was like haha this is an you know an yeah, indian can, you know right. guy who, at your local 7-eleven and look at his funny elephant statue that he has in the back yeah but in this in this episode it the the moral is that he does become an american citizen but he doesn't lose who he is because he has to go through like well i'm gonna wear this cowboy hat and i'm gonna have an american name and an american accent but he he realizes I can't do that I have to be me and I thought that actually was a really good moral and it's saying that you can be an American but you can be an, an Indian American you don't have to act a certain way to be American and I thought that actually was a good moral yeah I thought this episode was okay <laughs> uh, for me I think that supporting characters are like the spice of the show and when the show kind of flips and becomes an episode it becomes all about them like it loses its way a little bit and it loses the spice <laughs> and I do think that race and immigration is a slightly bigger topic than The Simpsons can reasonably take on just because it is so zany and it can't really stray too far down a serious path. You know, I think this is one of those issues where it's just like, yeah, they did a good job of of making it funny and pointing out some things, but you'd probably want it to be explored a little bit more if you're really going to go there or maybe just don't. Is this a good time to bring up why are they yellow? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It opens the question of what other races do and don't get represented in Springfield. And are there any Asian people there ever? There's Kwan. What's her name? Who is East Asian? There's the real estater. What's her name? Lisa Kwan, I think. Lisa Kwan. Stay stay away from the east side. (laughs) That's why I wish that maybe everyone was yellow, even Apu and even other characters of race, because it's pretty clear that the yellow people are white people but if it had been more of a thing where it's just like everyone is the same color and maybe they have different voices or some aspects of them seem different cultural but like to actually it feels a little bit weird that the simpsons are crazy looking yellow and all of the white people are and then like black people or asian people look a lot more like their real selves well and i think uh, freely admitting that this can be reading entirely too much into it. I think that that is the kind of quote unquote, I don't see race version of whiteness where it's like, they don't even specifically call it 
or show it as whiteness. It's just, oh, this is the yellow default color that all the normal people are. And then there are some other people over here on the corner who are not yellow. I, I heard a rumor that, like, Matt Groening wanted them to be yellow because he wanted people to think something was wrong with their TV screens and, like, ch- try to change the coloring. I don't know, maybe just to make it stand out more. And But the, they're clearly supposed to be white. They're white. Yes. They've even said in the show, like, Caucasian, and yeah. they're white. I do specifically see race as a blind spot. It's not just that it was, you know, a thing they didn't happen to get around to. I think it's a thing that they did not see as their job to try to address, even though they saw it as their jobs to specifically address a lot of other issues that were pressing at the time. And when the show came out in the late 80s and 90s, that kind of was how race was depicted on TV, was like, oh, we're going to be inclusive by showing some stereotype people <laughs> in, a, in off in the corner over here instead of, like, fully considering them. Like, Seinfeld did that a lot, too, you know, mm-hmm. when we talked about that, is they had a very also stereotypical, like, East Asian character. And even though they also did a kind of a similar episode that kind of gave him his own story and... Babubat. Yeah. <laughs> and made him, like, kind of the victim of a bunch of oppression, but, like, ultimately it still kind of fell into a lot of cliches. And also to pick up on on another show that we've covered on the podcast, Fresh Prince was very much an outlier in how realistically and honestly it tackled these issues. Chris, did you watch 22 short stories about Springfield? I don't think I finished it. Okay, because that was an entire episode dedicated to the secondary characters. Yeah, I think that's why I didn't... I was kind of like, <laughs> eh, I like lost interest. See, I love, I love that episode. I love you that episode so tall. much. <laughs> I love that one. I've forgotten I actually liked it a lot. Um, I In high school, we would have a three-week period each year where we would take classes not related to any normal schoolroom classes taught by the students. And some were like collegiate level, like really academic things. Like I like took a film history class and that was my first foray into cinema. But then I also took a Simpsons class. I'm surprised they weren't all Simpsons classes to be honest. I know. My restraint was admirable (laughs) even at the time. But I really enjoyed 22 short films about Springfield back then and enjoyed rewatching it now. It has some of my favorite jokes. Skinner having to convince the superintendent (laughs) that he calls hamburgers steamed hams. Aurora Borealis in your 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 kitchen. Oh, mothers, just the Northern Lights. I have it on a t-shirt. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and I liked, I noted that this was one of the first episodes I remembered that uh, I had seen the movie uh, of Pulp Fiction, and so I recognized the homages that it was paying to it. And I think that's another big thing that The Simpsons does in particular, is kind of homages to, and sometimes even whole episodes based around popular movies. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I had never seen the movie Cape Fear before. <laughs> I still have not. Scorsese's. I have not oh, Scorsese's love- did that one? <laughs> yes. And I... Uh, Scorsese. <laughs> Scorsese. I love the Cape Fear episode of The Simpsons. It's where Sideshow Bob is trying to kill Bart. I mean, that's kind of every episode where Sideshow Bob is the original episode. one. I watched, I rented Cape Fear, and it is almost like a shot-by-shot like remake. Oh, is the it? Simpsons episode. Oh, that's great. And, like, in the, in the worst way, meaning that that movie is terrible. <laughs> like, I was in awe of how terrible it was. I was like, oh, The Simpsons, like, didn't even make up this music or exaggerate, <laughs> like, almost barely because this movie is terrible. But that happens a lot where I see something on The Simpsons and then years later I'll see, like I was saying with The Shining and the Shinning parody of the Treehouse of Horror episode, um, 
what else did I put on the list? Like, there's the Thelma and Louise um, hmm. homage mm-hmm. with Marge and her neighbor um, that go out on the lamb. I enjoyed the Mary Poppins uh, oh. <laughs> uh, parody with uh, Sherry Bobbins. Is yes. That yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> and it also is a musical. Yes. Mm-hmm. The musical episodes are the best. Incredible. In, the, in this time period. And they don't mm-hmm. really do that anymore. And they just fired off Clausen, so that's, you know, worthy of being angry about. Yeah, it's just the music, like, I, I'm sure, maybe you too, Seth, had uh, songs in the key of Springfield. <laughs> no, I did not. You what didn't? Sonic? You can be personally assured that I never <laughs> once purchased soundtracks that accompanied any movies or shows that I watched. Oh, I would not? enjoy those soundtracks <laughs> in the moment when they were playing in the movie, well, and if I liked an individual song or two, I would get them. But I was not a soundtrack nerd, well, especially not a TV soundtrack nerd. I was. Me too. We we know. Well, Justin, you own Songs in the Key of Springfield. And Simpsonic, the other one. There were two albums. I didn't Simpsons know that one. Out. Yeah, oh, Simpsonic man. and Songs in the Key of Springfield because they keep writing really funny songs. So they yeah, keep the, putting them on albums. The songs are so funny. So I listen to the songs over and over and over. Like, how can I not be obsessed with this show? It's just so many avenues to keep ingesting it. (laughs) Yeah, I think we should talk a little bit more about Treehouse of Horror, just because I think those are the most popular episodes and kind of what the show is known for. I think even by people who aren't big, big fans of the show, a lot of them will just tune into those episodes because they're even more so than the rest of the show. They're very standalone Nothing that happens in them really has any consequence. And they're parodying usually horror, but very broad pop culture, so anyone can get the jokes. What did you think of The Treehouse you watched? I liked it. Uh, (laughs) This was the one episode that had, like, multiple lines that I was actually like, all right, I'm going to write this one down. (laughs) What were they? No beer and no TV make Homer something something. Because I'm crazy. Don't mind if I do. (laughs) What do you think, Marge? All I need is a title. I was thinking along the lines of no TV and no beer make Homer something something. Go crazy? Don't mind if I do! I have definitely heard people say that, and I was like, oh, okay, that's where that's from. Also, let us all bask in television's warm, glowing, warming glow. <laughs> it's very hard to say aloud, but... Uh, the the line in that episode where Maggie, it's the the vignette, of Homer has a time machine toaster and he (laughs) he keeps changing the present Mm -hmm. when he keeps going back and things are different and one of them he goes back and Maggie kills groundskeeper Willie and she takes out her pacifier and says this is indeed a disturbing universe (laughs) (laughs) this is indeed a disturbing universe and that is Matt Greening's favorite line from The Simpsons. It's pretty great. And also, that's also one of the few Treehouse of Horrors that had a repeating joke through the three completely separate storylines, which was Willie getting axed which in the back. Which is so funny and he goes, because oh, it, I'm getting bad at this. It's, that's such a standout thing from The Shining where you're just like waiting for like two hours for him to come save this kid and then he immediately gets an axe in the back and you're like, oh, come on. And so, yeah, I really appreciated that. A particular movie reference in this episode. Yeah, and I love Groundskeeper Willie, and I love the way that the extent to which they use them in the Treehouse of Horror episode. Uh, also, like the the model. I mean, that three ep- the three mini episodes in a, in an episode model has done well for them in, in their more recent seasons. Where we're not talking about. They've been replicating that with other mm-hmm. things. Also, where it's like let's do three Simpsons Bible stories. Yeah, exactly. And it, I happen to love those. Yeah, because, I like yeah, them. I think, great. I think that's a very s- successful model in general, and it just they're playing with the form a lot more. 
more now because I mean, hello, they've written how many episodes? <laughs> just like six hundred and something. Lord, like, another thing I really like about the Treehouse of Horror series is that they use it as an opportunity to make jokes and puns out of all of the names of people in the credits. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, yeah. Always spooky names. Damn yeah. scary, yeah. Castellaneta. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Treehouse of Horror episodes. They've released some DVDs that are just Treehouse of Horror, and we own a couple. Like every October, we go through all of the Halloween episodes. It's a fun, spooky time. Yeah, it's great. I think that's a good segue to talk about another thing that The Simpsons does a lot, which is meta TV humor. One of the episodes I watched that had a lot of that was Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie. Yes. Did I get that right? <laughs> it's the rockin' dog. Uh, he just got a badge. <laughs> it's a little dog. I withdraw seven tisks. Okay. <laughs> you guys, we will balance the ledger of tisks at the end of the show. <laughs> as we are all judged in the book of life. I think I'm still in negative tisks right now. Did you like this episode? I did. I really liked this episode. In fact, it was probably one of my favorites. Just because it's so clearly about itself, (laughs) about The Simpsons. And just that, I mean, we even talked about this with the uh, Ellen's puppy episode when Mm -hmm. they wanted Ellen to get a puppy to make things more interesting. That's literally what they do with Itchy and Scratchy, (laughs) although it's a different kind of puppy. And it's... The puppy is almost kind of like a parody of Bart, where they're like, ooh, let's give him attitude. Skateboarding. Yeah. It's a whole different paradigm. Yeah, and the the TV exec in the episode is really funny. Just <laughs> <laughs> She's a very realistic from someone who has actually worked with some of those people. We at the network want a dog with attitude. He's edgy. He's in your face. You've heard the expression, let's get busy? Well, this is a dog who gets busy consistently and thoroughly. So he's proactive, huh? Oh, God, yes. We're talking about a totally outrageous paradigm. Excuse me, but proactive and paradigm, aren't these just buzzwords that dumb people use to sound important? Not that I'm accusing you of anything like that. I'm fired, aren't I? Oh, yes. Yeah, and I think another thing that's actually really frighteningly realistically done is the focus group section uh, where they get (laughs) a lot of the local kids kids to come together (laughs) and watch the retooling of the show and also to try to identify what's been going wrong with the show. (laughs) And one of my favorite Ralph Wiggum lines ever is, my knob tastes funny! And the focus group guy says, please refrain from tasting the knobs. (laughs) Um, But it actually really pretty accurately captures how those focus groups get used to basically completely rewrite, revise, change the point subject characters of any number of shows or movies. Right, because they ask like a question and then they'll ask the opposite and the kids agree equally about both of them. <laughs> and then they just like go with whatever. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite side character of all time is Roy, <laughs> who is basically Poochie, that, that joins the Simpsons episode, and they're just like, oh, hi, Roy. <laughs> oh, that's who that was. Okay, you guys that's were talking Roy. about Roy, and I like couldn't remember who that was. He's, the, he's basically Poochie, but a human, yeah. and they're just like... Hey, and, Mr. S. <laughs> and then like at the end, when they're like... Poochie got uh, his planet needs him, and they like take the cell. You see, like the cell of the animation cell, like going up the sky. Poochie returned to his home planet, and then and then it, Poochie died on the way to oh, his home right. planet. <laughs> and then Roy's like, oh, "Sorry, I gotta go with two beautiful ladies." <laughs> Bye, Roy. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> it's, it's incredible, especially funny now that we've completely decontextualized. 
Yes. <laughs> the whole joke of the thing is that it's always annoying when shows try to shoehorn in right. new characters apropos of nothing just to revitalize a, like a boring series. Right. But they did um, that twice in the same episode. And it's I just, it's so, it was it's such great. a funny episode. It's Yeah, it's definitely, I think it's one of my favorites, um, especially one of the ones where they're kind of, again, just making fun of the medium itself. Fireworks yeah. Factory remains one of my favorite quotes to use at all times. What is it? But when are they going to get to the Fireworks <laughs> Factory? <laughs> I wanted to mention Buffy. Oh, oh God. But wow, and why? I, I immediately regret it. it. Because The Simpsons plays so much with form and meta-ness and things like TV conventions. And Buffy really did that in the dramatic version of this by like adding the sister in this magical way. But it was like... It was like the dramatic version of doing this episode. So, but, but she stuck around. <laughs> yeah, and Simpsons did it entertainingly. Simpsons did. Simpsons did. You can watch those episodes. You can be quiet. There's been some controversy with the show. I think we talked about this earlier. When the show first premiered, Bart was seen as this bad boy, a a threat to learning. He was called (laughs) because of his underachiever and proud of it attitude. Um, because he had a negative attitude toward education and he was seen as a bad example for little kids he didn't even want to have a cow no not one cow. <laughs> no cows for him um in a 1991 interview bill cosby described bart as a bad role model for children we calling him that. angry confused and frustrated we saw how that panned out <laughs> in the response that we're making right now <laughs> yeah, uh, mm, in response matt Groening said that sums up bart all right most people are in a struggle to be normal and he thinks normal is very boring and does things that others just wish they dare do mm. So he defended Bart. Um, President George H.W. Bush um, in 1992 said, we're going to keep on trying to strengthen the American family to make American families a lot more like the Waltons and less like the Simpsons. Did they then follow it up with that amazing episode where he destroys George H.W. W. Bush? I don't know. I'm sure that came after. I would it imagine came during his, like pregnant, a- his, his pregnancy? He's working on his His pregnancy? Well, he's working on his memoir in the episode. Oh, it must have been so Clinton. it may have been during the Clinton presidency. Yeah, yeah. so they got... They got theirs. Uh, they got back. They got back at him. They got back at him. The country of Brazil uh, almost took legal action against the show. <laughs> for a season 13 episode called Blame It on Lisa, where the family travels to Brazil. Uh, and they depicted Rio as being filled with crime, slums, and rats. And then they well, went everywhere else and did the same for every place they go. Yeah. And then Brazil was like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's what we're like. We are so. filled with rats and crimes. Um, I didn't see any rats. Crimes and slums, were, yes. Well, the rats were committing crimes when you were there, so you didn't see And then also, New Orleans was mad at the Simpsons. Oh, God. Are you aware of this, Seth? I'm aware of the city of New Orleans. <laughs> I'm not aware of this New Orleans. So, I'm aware place. of Nolans. Nolans. <laughs> so That's one of even the worse. one of the best episodes that we didn't talk about was um, a streetcar named Marge, yes. where Marge tries out for a streetcar named Desire. The musical. The musical. I get very confused between that and Marge versus the monorail right, yeah. because they are both cars. <laughs> monorail, and they both, and they're have both singing. singing and Marge. Yeah. The story of the play takes place in New Orleans, and so they have a song about New Orleans being the home of pirates, drunks, and whores. <laughs> <laughs> it is obviously a funny, you know, they just needed to describe the setting. To also, this day, it's true. Also, they're making <laughs> fun Pirates, of a... drunks, ve- and whores, and Seth. They're also making fun <laughs> of a very standard Broadway convention, which is the opening number, setting the scene somewhere, and it's, it's a like terrible Sweeney place. Todd. It's Sweeney yeah. Todd. It's Les Miserables. It's so many musicals where, like, the cast comes out and sings about how horrible where they are and when they are is living. So. Yeah, so many readers, um, the lyrics were actually printed in a newspaper in New Orleans before the episode aired. Readers took the lyrics out of context, and the New Orleans then 
Fox affiliate WNOL received about 100 complaints the day the episode aired. So several local radio stations also held on-air protests in response to the song. And so in one of the following um, chalkboard gags, which is another thing in the Simpsons credits, uh, they wrote, I will not, what is it? I will not defame the city of New Orleans. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So that was their apology. Are they even controversial anymore? I feel like the time of like Simpsons being controversial is over. The last time that I remember (laughs) controversy being anywhere near the Simpsons was when Banksy did a couch gag, which I really love now. They have guest um, animators or guest producers or just guest artists that um, conceptualize the couch gag. And so Banksy did one, and I loved it, but it was dark as hell. It goes into, I guess, Korea, <laughs> or, like, where the animators are, and yeah. they're, like, it's, like, a slave, slave workers, and there's, like, a starving unicorn they're using, the horns. Like, panda bear, driven into slavery, and <laughs> dragon heart. Man- a dolphin. Manufacturing all the merchandise, yeah. not just the DVDs of the show. Yeah, the, the, and then the you something we can talk about as far as controversy. I mean, there's a lot less public controversy, but there's been a ton, especially the past couple of years, of the Simpsons getting into controversial issues with their parent network where Fox gets really got really furious every time they made fun of Fox News and every time they make a joke about Fox that's like been the Fox whole, hates that's been the whole series from yeah, the start it's like gotten much like crazier as they like, really are pushing it like especially when they started like tackling Fox News and saying it's fake and stuff like that like Fox wow. has gotten into huge huge issues with the Simpsons yeah there's a lot of um, tension between Creative Fox and like the Fox News brand of Fox, mm-hmm. which uh, I think <laughs> uh, is understandable. Is <laughs> yeah. I think that a lot of shows kind of like make fun of the network they're on. Like Thirty Rock would make NBC jokes, mm-hmm. um, and The Simpsons throughout its entire run would make fun of Fox. So it's just interesting mm-hmm. now that Fox would have that much of an issue with it when literally for the past twenty nine years that's been like a thing they yeah. do. But The Simpsons is also credited with making Fox a viable network too, mm-hmm. which is interesting because it it was like the big three before then, and then The Simpsons is what allowed Fox to become like a real competitor to those yeah. big three and. Still, it's kind of just those four. I mean, arguably, like, the CW kind of sneaks in there sometimes, but those really are the top four networks still. So a little bit of trivia about The Simpsons is that they actually have some words in the English language dictionary. Don't. Doe, it's referred to in scripts as annoyed grunt. And so Dan Castaneleta. Castellaneta. Thank you. He created Doe, and it's now in the dictionary. Wait, is it now, is it still annoyed grunt every time they put it in the episode? I don't know. just write Probably down? Probably just write down. <laughs> um, the word meh may not have been uh, created by the show, but it was definitely popularized by the show and was included in the dictionary in 2008. I know I say that all the time. Meh. Meh. Uh, and the word yoink. So the show may may have also come up with that one. I thought you made that one up. <laughs> That's a Becky original. I did. Well, but I mean, it it didn't just shape our sense of uh, senses of humor. It totally shaped our vocabularies too. Like mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't, never started using the word like cowabunga or like. Even Psych, I think, was popularized in part by hmm. Simpsons or something around that. You know. Um, but yeah, like so many of those movies and all the catchphrases and stuff, those definitely did enter the popular consciousness because of that. Definitely. I know that it's true. I say a lot of Simpsons quotes, but honestly, a lot of the time, I don't even know I'm saying them. I say boo worms now. <laughs> 
not realizing that is from an episode <laughs> as Star is Burns. Yes. I say the word possibly sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> like, possibly. Like not realizing that, oh yeah, that's that line. Welcome to Itchy and Scratchy Land where nothing could possibly go wrong. Uh, possibly, possibly go, go wrong. wrong. That's, that's the first thing that's ever gone wrong. wrong. <laughs> but like possibly, like sometimes I'll just say it and probably people look at me like, what? Yes, we do. <laughs> I do that too. We wonder about your With health. With Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. Rawr, vampire noise. Oh, I remember that episode. <laughs> That was my favorite one. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's shaped how I just speak. I don't even know it. I'm saying that. Every time my husband falls asleep on the couch, I go up and at them. (laughs) Because that's from the... Fall Out Boy episode. Like, and it's I, just completely how I talk now. It's also, like, affected me just, like, how I think. I mean, like, I've been working on, like, writing scripts and, like, Becky helping me out, and I just, every joke I write, I'm like, that's just, I can see how it's, like, a grind, ground-up version of, like, 45 different Simpsons jokes turned into a new joke. It's just how my brain works now, mm-hmm. is in a very, like, zany Simpsons-type way, to the point where, I told you this earlier this week, a joke I wrote in a script ended up in a new Simpsons episode, and I was like, all right, I now think like a Simpsons writer. That's well, what's that's happening. good. <laughs> <laughs> and so does everyone else who writes TV, I think. Like, pretty much everyone cites Simpsons as a huge influence. I mean, how can it not be? I mean, these guys, these this family's been around since we were five. I mean, since like, we were you know, young, you guys. <laughs> so obviously, Chris, you were a passing fan. Like, I've known you years and years, and I don't think I've ever, like, sat and watched an episode with you. So what... It's amazing, isn't what did it? You, so, so generally, what did you think getting out of it? Um, do you think you would ever sit down and watch more in the future yeah i would like to come to it more casually like i don't i had a hard time sitting down and like choosing specific episodes to watch and like trying to think about it uh for me it's like best kind of enjoyed in passing and I did actually sit and think about it a lot today <laughs> during my lunch <laughs> because I was like, I still have not answered for myself like what this show is about kind of or why beyond it's funny, like what makes it great. I don't know. Do you guys have any, because I kind of came up with my own theory, but do you guys have anything to say about like what it, besides a great sense of humor, like what it means to you or what do you think makes it such a lasting show. I think that, and I think I've said this earlier in this podcast, that the most, the best episodes are the most relatable, where it's something that you go through or someone in your family goes through and you recognize it. It's always the relationships with each other, the family members that are the strongest for me, um, or any episode of self-identity. So even like the Apu, Much Apu About Nothing, because he's discovering something about himself um, and being true to himself, those really mean the most to me and I get the most out of them. I think the decline of the show happened around season 10-ish and that's kind of when, it's not just that they did a lot already and 10 seasons is a lot. A lot and that's 22 episodes a season. Like that's already a lot of episodes and you've already covered a lot of ground. It's when they stopped kind of saying relatable stories and it became more about side characters uh, doing, you know, exaggerating of the side characters. So the side characters didn't just pop in. Now they're part of the world, and then it's more about just slamming them all together. They're almost like little dolls, and you just have different adventures with them. But like, 
there it's less about relationships and it's just more about what if bumblebee man was married uh <laughs> and necrobopple <laughs> what if like because they've done that not with bumblebee man but they've done it with like flanders and edna then comic by co- comic book guy with edna and it's just like none of this really feels relatable anymore um, and so, to me, in a long, whining answer of your question, <laughs> the long uh, look, if I'm going to talk a lot about something, it's going to be The Simpsons. It's, uh, to me, it's just a really funny show, and, when, and uh, it really works best when I relate to what's going on. What about you, Justin? Uh, for me, The Simpsons was never relatable. <laughs> uh, I think that's why I loved it so much. I mean, to me, The Simpsons is my fandom for The Simpsons and my love for The Simpsons is very similar to my love for another thing that people shame me for, which is professional wrestling. And I think it's that a big, big, big percentage of why I love The Simpsons so much is that they've always been there. And I think I will legitimately cry the day it's canceled and it's over. And I may not know what to do with myself because to me, it's just been this like reliable, ridiculous, any family that has nothing to do with my family in a world that's, you know, that sometimes will mock my world, but sometimes just like ridiculous. And to me, it's like, you know, The Simpsons is one of the few shows that Make Simpsons is the only show that makes me laugh the way that The Simpsons does. Nothing else has ever had me, other than like maybe like Thirty Rock and Kimmy Schmidt to like a smaller degree. It's just the the quality of the writing, the ridiculous you know constant uh, storylines they came up with and stuff like that. So I think it's just that combination of like I've been watching these people for you know two decades of my life or more, and I've always found them funny and. You know, to me, it was not, I didn't come to The Simpsons looking for relatability or storylines I could empathize with. I came to The Simpsons looking to escape, and that always did that for me. Um, well, I mean, I would say that my uh, enjoyment of it and my, f- my fanship of it now is kind of a synthesis of the two of you, Becky and Justin, because I do like appreciate the show very much for its characters and the stories that revolve around its characters and kind of the way that it flushes out for these people in this very, very particular world, what it means to be a family, what it means to be a friend and a good friend, um, and what it means to define yourself and try to, like, struggle for some greater cause. Like, it kind of takes on all of those things, again, from a very particular and in some ways very limited perspective. Um, But I like... I I enjoyed that, and I think when it worked, it did that well. I think I also think that it was at its best when it had writers like Conan O'Brien, who had that perfect absurdist comedic voice, and who could think up a sight gag that would just be completely off the wall and hilarious. Um, and and yeah, so like I, I I the things I appreciated in it were kind of shared among both of y'all. Um, yeah, Chris? I I don't know. My take on this show is a little bit darker than any of the rest of yours that I've heard. <laughs> uh, I mean, one of the things that you can't help but think about is that the show has been on for 29 years. Obviously, no one ever ages, and very little changes for them. If circumstances change in the episodes, they're almost always reset at the end. Uh, The more everything changes, the more it stays the same. And so for me, it kind of feels like 
family is kind of like an anchor for these characters. Like a lot of these characters struggle toward self-actualization and will try new things and try and become a better version of themselves. But it's always like sort of their, either the love for each other or the what their family needs that kind of drags them back and like resets them into these kind of mold that they've been so kind of you told think that, that the Simpsons family are actually trapped in an endless hell, <laughs> yeah, like kind a of. Groundhog Day situation. <laughs> like, like I was thinking of a thought experiment of like what would happen to each of these characters if the other three Simpsons died or something. Like, I, like there's the episode where Lisa flashes forward and becomes mm-hmm. president, and I think that's something that could happen. But I think like instead she's going to g- keep getting dragged back because she has to like be loyal to her family and sh- not just because you know she's not going to be miserable miserable about it she genuinely loves them but i think love is sort of a anchor around not just the simpsons clan but everyone in this town is that everyone can't help but kind of force each other back into this kind of mediocrity and to me it's like a really big commentary on the american middle class and all these forces of oppression that that are used to kind of keep us down like even television i think it's a distraction you know and it's like oh look at this funny thing and this show is about that and yet it has also served you just that kind of mindless well and in and also in another very real sense the 80s have never left us and reaganomics never ended and the vision of america that springfield very clearly exists within is that kind of reaganomic trickle-down america where people in the quote-unquote middle class even they were holding on by the skin of their teeth and that certainly hasn't gotten any better since then yeah so it's actually gotten much worse yeah. yeah i mean i i don't see it as as much of a horror film but it certainly <laughs> can have that reading well i just i saw so many episodes are about like here have some violence have some beer have some food like it's a show about a lot of like overindulgence and that the characters are all kind of gravitating toward that sometimes with marge it's like one of my favorite episodes was the class struggle mm-hmm. uh and you know she wants to be rich and wear like fancy clothing, but it's all about these kind of material possessions or these kind of superficial things that people want and then get taken away from them kind of. But in a lot of those cases, like Marge and Lisa, and I think Bart sometimes especially, are trying to be better people. And it's like, by the end of the episode, they're not (laughs) again. So I have a final question. What is your favorite episode? I will simply say King Size Homer. Mine is still Lisa the Vegetarian. Mine is also Lisa the Vegetarian. (laughs) Yeah, that's like my number two, I think. I'm curious about what you picked, Chris. So I was thinking about this and kind of like which episodes. I probably have a more complicated answer (laughs) than you guys do. It's getting real dark in this final segment here. (laughs) Yeah. Just, I mean, in terms of what character I gravitated toward. At first, like I was thinking maybe it's Lisa because she's the most out of the box and self-aware. And I tend to like those kinds of characters. But I actually ended up really appreciating the Marge episodes the most. Especially as I get older, because me too, she gets sacrificed a lot. Like yeah. she's always the one who mm-hmm. has to set aside what she wants the most. And whenever Marge leaves the family, like the family will fall apart without her. Like there's no, there's no resetting the Simpsons without Marge. Like she literally has to be there to do everything for the rest of them, or they will implode. And so I, I find her like super sad, <laughs> but also just yeah. like really interesting. And so 
I think some of the episodes I liked are where she got close to getting out of that. Like when she became an entrepreneur in the pretzel episode mm-hmm. that I happened to watch. <laughs> Love it. The Twisted World of Marge Simpson, the I think it's wigs. called. That episode has one of my favorite jokes ever when Cletus is like, give me 22 pretzels. You got like, shouldn't have been dinner. All right, we got dinner. And it's like the endless list of children. That's when yes. you first met his Cletus, children. That was Dylan, the first appearance of them. Scout, Rumor, Cassidy, Cody. They literally <laughs> then became characters yeah. after that episode. That was the episode that we introduced. Anyway, sorry to kids. interrupt. No, that's okay. So episodes like that, um, the scenes from a class struggle and streetcar named Marge. Mm-hmm. Uh, those ones You're where doing she, it. <laughs> where she gets to kind of at least have the fantasy of escaping. Cause I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that Marge would be better off without Homer because he's an asshole. And she yeah, had that clearly. opportunity numerous times and kept coming back. And like, who could she be if, you know, she wasn't in love with this guy. And sometimes the episodes make it kind of sweet that, Oh, they love each other anyway. But also it's kind of like, Oh, like maybe she wants to have friends yeah. and, and right. do other stuff. Did and you, so did you it's see, kind of a tragic thing. Did you see the movie? I did when it came out, but I don't remember it. You all saw the movie, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there's a moment in the movie where Marge leaves a videotape. Like, I, I honestly forget exactly what Homer does, but it's something where she's like, it's like an actually serious scene. And like Julie Kavner does an actual like really great voice performance. that's like dramatic. And she's like, basically like, I'm leaving you. And obviously by the end of the movie, they're back together. <laughs> but like, it got like serious there for a bit where you're like, yeah, wow, I they're actually that. separating. I remember that. It was really, <laughs> it was vexing at the time. Yeah, I guess there's nothing he could really do, even in the world when, like, in the Cartridge Family episode, when she probably should have left him after he lied to her, like, three times about having a dangerous gun. Mm-hmm. And yet they still didn't break up. Yeah, and I think, like, Lisa is another character who would be probably better off if she didn't <laughs> spend Maggie, time with these also. people. Yeah, all the women, I guess. Sure, <laughs> if they split up, Homer and Bart would die within three days. Bart, As Lisa like, and Marge would become therapy. co-presidents of America. <laughs> yeah, I think Bart and Homer would literally just sit on the couch and drink beer forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the and the show has posited that, like they're like, yes. we know that Marge is very much like needed in that family. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is also very much the stereotypical American family. Like all of these characters are sort of the sort of essence of. American middle class. So to sum up, mono means one and rail means rail. So bake them away, toys. That concludes our three-week study program and also this episode. And I still have no idea what anyone is talking about. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like these 10 seasons hold up. So continue watching syndicated programming because they're still on TV all the time. Yeah, I think it's pretty difficult to escape The Simpsons. There's now like a 24-7 online streaming site. Uh, through FX that you can watch all the episodes if you're a cable subscriber. There are DVDs everywhere. Everywhere. Or just come over to my house and we'll watch yeah, The Simpsons. Come over to Becky's place. And then we'll go to Universal and pay $10 for a flaming Yeah, mouth. Justin and I went to Universal Studios yesterday mostly for Simpsons Land and we paid $10 for a flaming a flaming Mo, which didn't even have alcohol in it or cough syrup. And was orange, not purple, but that's okay. <laughs> it was still delicious and smoky. <laughs> Guys, I'm probably going to go home and watch more Simpsons because that's what I'm doing. I have not had my fill, and that is how crazy I am. I'm going to go watch Buffy. <laughs> Clean out my palate. A we all, bit. None of us learn lessons. We're just like the Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> that's all of the endless Sisyphean hellscape we have time for in this episode. On the next episode of the When We Were Young podcast, it's the Adams Family <laughs> and Adams Family Values. Da-na-na-na. We're going to talk about that. <laughs>
The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed our audiophonic adventure, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, and you should also review us to the tune of five stars or more on that very same iTunes. You can find our other social media links in the post accompanying this episode. I've been Seth Pearson. I think I'm still Chris. Pretty sure I'm Justin. I'm Idaho! (laughs) (laughs) I don't get that one either. Well, sir, there's nothing on earth like a genuine, bona fide, electrified six-car monorail. what I say? Monorail! What's it called? Monorail. That's right, monorail! Those things are awfully loud. It glides as softly as a cloud. Is there a chance the track could bend? Not on your life, my Hindu friend. What about us brain dead slobs? You'll be given cushy jobs. Were you sent here by the devil? No good, sir. I'm on the level. The ring came off my pudding can. Take my penknife, my good man. I swear it's Springfield's only choice. Throw up your hands and raise your voice. What's it called? Mario, don't!